0: this is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and for your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Emma Christensen from Simply Recipes, and we will be discussing search engine optimization or SEO for short. Emma Christensen is the editor in chief of Simply Recipes. She has over 10 years of experience creating food and cooking content for both web and print. She was formerly the recipe editor for The Kitchen and is the author of three books on home brewing. True Brews, Brew Better Beer, and Modern Cider. Emma is a graduate of the Cambridge School for Culinary Arts and Bryn Mawr College. She lives in San Jose, California. And you are a Minnesota girl at heart, Emma, which is the very first thing I ever talked to you about. So that's a little bonus fun fact for everyone.
1: Yay, Midwest! (laughs) Yay!
0: (laughs) I am super excited to dive into SEO with you today, but before we do that... Give us a quick fun fact about yourself.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I am super excited to be here. And a fun fact, well, I was actually gonna share that I, in addition to writing about food and editing food and doing all things food, I'm a beer brewer and a cider maker, but I forgot that in my intro you were gonna mention that (laughs) that I have the three books out. But I always feel like that's kind of a random thing about me, like that I have this whole other side project and side thing going on and experiments that are bubbling away in my kitchen all the time
0: literally and you're so multifaceted I mean (laughs) you've got like your editor-in-chief of simply recipes and you've got all this beer brewing background I love watching your insta stories by the way about kind of what goes into that because I have no experience in that but it's so interesting and I love that you've written three books on the topic so that's really cool thanks. yeah well thanks for being here today Emma and let's get to our main topic, which is SEO. I know that you are also an expert in SEO. So let's dig in. As you know, SEO is a hot topic right now with all food bloggers. Every time I ask my listeners for feedback about which topics they want to learn more about, SEO is one of the main things that comes up over and over. We all want to be on Google's good side because we want those higher rankings, but there seem to be More core updates and algorithm changes than ever before, which leaves some of us feeling like our heads are spinning a little bit. And sometimes it makes us feel like our efforts are kind of fruitless. So to start, Emma, talk to us about what Google wants from us as bloggers. What are some of those main things that we should be focusing on?
1: Sure. And also, I'll start off by saying that I am a super nerd and I actually love SEO. <laughs> I know that's kind I of it. like super random and maybe I'm just a weirdo. I just get so <laughs> I just get so into all this stuff. Like when I started out at The Kitchen, gosh, over 10 years ago, SEO wasn't a thing and like Google was just starting to have significance and we started seeing our stuff start to rank but we like literally had no idea why we were just shooting darts into the dark and the fact that there are so many tools now and so much knowledge and so much just like information out there now just it makes me so happy like I wish that I'd had this knowledge 10 years ago it just it's yeah I I love it all don't we all (laughs) yeah although it can be super like overwhelming right because you're like Whose advice do I follow, like what's best for me, what's best for my blog, like all that stuff is super hard to sort through. So I feel that myself and I am sympathetic to all my blogger friends out there who are also struggling with this. So in terms of what Google wants, Google, like, I think this happened with the core update that was almost a year ago, they started really prioritizing what they called EAT signals, Eat signals, which I think is super appropriate given the fact that yeah, I love that too. <laughs> like when I first heard that, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> for like EAT I did signals. the same. <laughs> I was like, "Eat, yeah. you're yes, are, are you're... you speaking to me directly?" I don't know <laughs> exactly. Um, so that just stands for expertise, authority, and trust. And there are a lot of like super technical ways to think about that, and like especially when you get into trust. You'll hear a lot of information about, like, make sure your security updates are up to date and like that when people come to your site, they feel safe and they don't think their information is going to get stolen and like that kind of stuff. But I also think about it just in terms of almost like the relationship that I'm trying to build with my readers, with my audience And just kind of my presence and reputation on the internet, and that goes for me personally, Emma Christensen, as well as for my site, Simply Recipes. So just to kind of run down that list, I think of expertise as, do you know what you're talking about? Like, you're talking about an Instant Pot recipe. Like, do you have authority in that? Like, what gives you that authority? Do you have knowledge? Is it experiential knowledge? Is it that you went to the Instant Pot factory and got a tour. If you did, lucky you, please call me. (laughs) Um, Just kind of like everything that goes into why you have the expertise to talk about what you're talking about. And then authority is, it's kind of related. And honestly, I sometimes struggle with figuring out the distinction myself, but it's kind of like, how do you know what you're talking about? Like, what else have you published? What else have you done? Do you have any credentials? Like, have you been to culinary school? Have you published cookbooks? Like anything that kind of like, Improves your clout (laughs) around the internet. And that's like, it's not just on your website, it's kind of the internet as a whole. So you kind of have to step back and just think about what is my reputation online and what does that look like? Again, not only your personal reputation, but also your website's reputation. And also, that's, I think, where social comes into play. So if you have a really big social following uh, or if you have a big YouTube channel, anything like that kind of comes into play there. And then trust like I said, there are some like the technical aspects of that of do people feel safe on your site? Can they find what they're looking for? Like if they come to your site and they want chicken recipes, maybe the recipe they land on, they're not super into, but they want to look at other chicken recipes. Is it easy for them to like find those other recipes on your site? Is it easy for them to discover other content that might be interesting or relevant to what they're looking for? But I also think about it in terms of building trust with your audience and like that is a thing that takes time like if people are coming to your site are they generally finding the information that they want are your recipes working like people build trust because they come to your site they take a chance on one recipe oh that recipe worked great i'm going to come back to the site again oh that recipe worked too and that is like a trust relationship that builds over time and you think about that being multiplied over like all of the readers that are coming to your site and that's like how google sees your trust or how I think anyway. <laughs> Who knows exactly what Google thinks, <laughs> but like that's how right. I interpret it.
0: Or how you the user sees exactly. your trust.
1: And really like this kind of goes back to something I maybe should have mentioned from the outset is I really think about SEO in terms of the user and the reader on my site. Like I I think about Google second because I really think that ultimately what Google wants is for you to connect with your readers and to be providing a good experience for your readers. Not only like the beautiful photos on your site and the experience of being on your site, but a good experience in terms of the recipes you create and the kind of voice that you bring to the internet and things like that. So I always think of the reader first. And then as long as your readers are having a good experience, Google is going to see that and should theoretically reward you (laughs) for that experience. Yeah,
0: I absolutely love what you just said. Seeing Google as kind of a connection or a bridge almost between you and your user. I love that mindset because I think so many people get caught up in, well, I have to please Google and I do it too. I think I might have said it twice already in this conversation, but it's like we should maybe stop seeing Google as the entity that we are trying to please and see them as the means of trying to please the user. I love that. I think
1: that's a really great way to put it. Because really, I mean, like, that's what Google is. Like, Google is just trying to connect their users with good content that their users want. And Google is super smart. They're super smart at whatever algorithms and whatnot they've got working on back there. They are able to, with increasing efficiency and reliability, connect a reader with whatever search term they search for with the information that they're looking for and so you just kind of want to make sure yeah. that you're on the receiving end of that
0: <laughs> absolutely and they are the smartest algorithm out there I mean even more so than Pinterest and I don't I know yeah. what other options there are but yeah they yeah, are Bing like being <laughs> I think so <laughs> I don't know haven't been, yeah, recently, been but... at this
1: game for a long time and they, yeah I mean they just they see the internet and they see how connections work. So
0: yeah, yeah. they've had a while to perfect their (laughs) games, and they definitely have. So I love that you went through EAT. I had one question about authority, because you're right, that is very similar to expertise, and it's hard to differentiate. Like, how do we define the difference between them? And then you mentioned like how to know what you're talking about. If someone doesn't have though a cookbook or anything published aside from what's on their blog, how do we earn that authority? You mentioned social following too, but what if somebody doesn't necessarily have that? Is that just something that they need to work toward or is there something else they can do to quickly gain that authority? Sure.
1: So to kind of delve into the expertise and authority again, and it again, like I've been doing this for a long time and consider myself an SEO expert and it's still kind of confusing to me. But I think when we talk about expertise, I think maybe Think about it like the content that you're actually producing on your site. Like I feel like expertise has to do with are you an expert in the content that you're putting up on your site? Like, do you have a certain amount of expertise to (laughs) I was gonna say, do you have the expertise to write with authority? (laughs) Which just (laughs) Oh,
0: perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That
1: That leads into the next one very well. Maybe the way to think about it is expertise kind of is what you write about on your site, whereas authority is how you're seen across the internet and kind of how... uh, Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. So it's expertise is more like the content that goes directly onto your blog. And authority kind of backs it up, like what gives you the basis to be an authority figure in any yeah, be an expert in any realm.
1: I do think they're really intertwined. And like, you kind of they're like two sides of the same coin. In some ways, I'm like, yeah, why'd you make it so hard? Google? Like, did you just want a clever acronym there? Like?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that has to be part of it.
1: Exactly. And if you're just starting off, and you feel like you don't have super strong signals, like say you want to write Instant Pot recipes, but you've never written an Instant Pot recipe before. I think... First of all, you have to just start somewhere. Like you don't become an expert mm-hmm. in something overnight. Like you just have to kind of like choose the thing that you are interested in and that you want to become an expert in and gain authority in and just go for it and take that first step. And then the other kind of side of that is it just, it does take time. It's not something, I mean, there are ways that you can kind of accelerate things. Yeah, if you focus on like improving your social following or churning out a ton of content kind of as quickly as possible, if you go and get that book deal, like there are ways that you can accelerate the process, but at the end of the day, it's just, it just takes time.
0: Absolutely. I like consistency and persistence are one of my personal mantras because I have been doing this too for a very, very long time. And I feel like that's one of the things that I've done right is that I have never given up. I have been consistent and I've just week after week (laughs) continued to do those things that I am passionate about and that I love and that I want to be an expert and I want to have authority Mm -hmm. in those areas. So that is a key point just doing being consistent and persistent and never stopping and learning like you said if you want to know about the instant pot and you have no no experience whatsoever in dealing with it just dive into it and week after week make a video write posts about how it works do tons of recipes that are made in the instant pot just keep at it yeah and
1: take the reader with you like there's nothing that says you have to like I think sometimes people think, "Oh, I'm going to start writing about the instant powder. I'm going to start writing Mexican cuisine recipes or, you know, whatever it is that that is their particular passion." And they feel like they have to be an expert from day 1 or they have to present as an expert. And I don't think you do. I think part of it is being like, hey, I'm a total newbie at this Instant Pot, but I got one and I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to bring you along with me. And so your first series of posts is how to take it out of the box and the first things you make in it. And then it's like, oops, here was my first time that something went wrong. And here's why I think it went wrong. And like, you kind of like grow with your audience. And that's another way to form trust.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Bringing the reader with you and letting them experience your fails and the not so pretty side of things I'm a with big you fan.
1: this is nothing necessarily to do with seo but i'm a big fan of like just being real <laughs> like yes, like talk about you. the things that failed. talk about the things that didn't work like have it be pretty like sure take your like pretty final shot and everything but like that's where i think where social media really comes into like you can show how messy your kitchen is after a day of testing yeah. or you know whatever you want to do
0: And people are more likely to want to be with you on your journey if you are real, I feel like. You feel more
1: approachable and yeah, just something something that they can do too.
0: That's all great stuff. Thank you, Emma. So can we talk a little bit about how things have evolved over the years? Because blogging used to be very journal-like in nature, including details about our lives and not necessarily including information about the tater tot hot dish we're creating the post for. So that former way of blogging kind of allowed for us to showcase our personalities and our voices more. But now there are days when I feel like I could hire a robot literally to do all of my writing for me. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on this? Do we have to sacrifice our voice in order for Google to recognize us?
1: That so the evolution of SEO over the last like five to 10 years, especially the last five years, I say that is fascinating because you're totally right. Like when I first started out, it was like, hey, I went to the park today with my dog. And then I came home and made this cookie recipe or whatever. Like it was way more just about like sharing what I'm cooking in my kitchen. And it's evolved into like a business. Like I, I think that a lot of us are business women and business, business people, not just women. And it's super different. And what people want is different. Like I think when we first started it really was like our friends and coworkers and families, and they were the only ones that came to our websites, and now you've got this international audience of people that come and they want recipes, they want to know what to cook for dinner, they want to know how to cook this particular thing that you are an expert at that doing, and you know you're sharing your knowledge. So I think the other big thing that changed blogging was the introduction of social media. So now I almost feel like the blog or the website is the repository of information. And it's not, I'm going to get into this in a second, but it's not so much like where you share your personal story or like what is going on in your life. That's on Instagram. I feel like Instagram is where our communities are or Facebook or wherever it is that you find that you're actually connecting with your people. So on the website itself, when you're writing up your recipe for tater tot hot dish, which I love by the way, it's hard to not be from the Midwest and not love a good hot dish. No, you don't have to sacrifice story, but you also have to think about what we mean by story. Like, Story isn't just, I went to the park with my dog, I went on this vacation with my family. Story is also how we talk about a thing. It's it's our voice. It's the personality that we bring. So like for instance, maybe you're doing a recipe for hot dish and you've done all your SEO research And one of the big things you're noticing is that people want to know, like, can I freeze this hot dish? And the answer is yes, you can freeze this hot dish. So you can answer it like that. You can just say yes, you can freeze it, or you can say yes. In order to freeze it, wrap it in aluminum foil and put it in the freezer and three months. Like you can give more information, or you can like add your own like sassy, cool personality and be like, yeah, peace, you can totes freeze this thing. You know what I mean? Like there are so many ways that you can actually answer that question and with varying degrees of putting your own personality into it. Personally, I really believe that If what you're doing is you're doing your SEO research, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, you're figuring out what SEO questions, what questions you want to answer in your post in order to kind of hit these SEO markers. And then you're just kind of going down the list and answering each question. Personally, this might be controversial, (laughs) but I think it's kind of a short-term game because eventually all of our posts start to look exactly like each other's and there's nothing distinguishing them. So I think down the road as... I think down the road, our individual personalities are going to matter a lot more. Like it's going to be a way that our audiences interact with us and identify with us. And I think it's going to be something that Google will pick up on. So yeah, like basically use the SEO tools and use the information you know about what Google is looking for. Use it like a tool and then use that tool to form kind of the structure of your post and help refine the angle and kind of what you're talking about in that post but then that's just your framework when you fill in that framework when you answer the question about how do i freeze this or what are the best substitutes or you know whatever questions you you know your readers are interested in that's where you bring yourself and your personality into it does that make sense
0: i love that so much everything you said I wanted to comment on. So I, (laughs) yes, that does make sense. And I love that you put that kind of visual, like use the SEO tips that you are getting from everywhere as a framework and fill in the gaps with your personality and your voice. And I think that a lot of us kind of unknowingly do that, but then we do get caught up like, oh, I'm just being a robot and I have to do the same thing. And then we get the advice, like if you're looking for a way to boost a certain post on a tater tot hot dish to google that and look at what your the first five entries are doing so click over to their posts and kind of emulate that but then we're copying what they're doing so i feel like using your voice like you said emma is a great way to differentiate yourself and that eventually down the road that is going to carry weight and google is going to be able to see like oh that's megan talking about tater tot hot dish not X blogger yeah. you know so i love that
1: this is where it's really important to know your audience and think about your audience. When you're writing that recipe for tater tot hot dish, there might be information that your audience is interested in that, you know, the audience from blogger X isn't. Mm. Or there might be like, it's not just a matter of kind of straight up copying. It's kind of like, huh, you know, that post went into the history of the tater tot hot dish. That's interesting. But think about it. Like, is my audience really interested in the history of the tater tot hot dish? Or do they just want to know, can I freeze this? Or they just want the recipe for the hot dish. Right. Uh, Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, like doing all your research, doing everything, like finding it all, but then bringing kind of a, a layer of your own humanness into it and your own ideas and beliefs for how you want to connect with your audience
0: and experiences yeah like if you're from minnesota and you're creating a tater tot hot dish that your grandma made then of course you're probably going to want to dive into the history of it and why your grandma started making it but let's say you're from california and nobody knows about tater tot hot dish and you really don't have a history but you know that it's a great comfort food you might not want to
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah I love that. Okay, I wanted to touch on one more thing that you said a little bit earlier, which was talking about how the old style of blogging was very journal-like and how it's changed so much in the past five years. You kind of conjured up this image for me that I have never thought about before. So I'm going to try to explain it. So back then, it was like, I'm writing in my journal. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about my dog. I'm talking about my husband and my kids. And then... Facebook came along and Instagram came along and those became avenues for us to talk about the personal side. So it's almost like the blogging branched out in a way, Mm -hmm. like we can still do all those things, but in different ways. So now Facebook and Instagram are our means of expressing our personalities and our voices in a lot of areas of our lives. But blogging is more about like, we need to get to the nitty gritty. What do people want here? They want to know how to freeze this dish. They want to know X, Y, Z about it. So I really like that. So it's almost like, it's actually more informative for our readers and our users than before, because there are different places for them to go to get aspects Mm -hmm. of each of us, if that makes sense. So yeah, Yeah. I loved that. (laughs) I'm going to have a new new perspective on that because I think we just get frustrated. Like it's not the same. We can't write about ourselves anymore, but that's actually not true. We can write about ourselves even more so because Insta stories and yeah. everything else that's been introduced recently. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It is interesting how that's all changed and it's just basically we're doing the same stuff and we're sharing things. It's just kind of like choosing the outlet and in a way it's better because like we've all heard it the people that come to our websites and is like great recipe but I didn't want to read three pages of blah 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 about your family yes. before I got to the you're like no well Sorry. okay like I'm gonna deliver that person the experience that they want and the people who love my family and want to see you know how crazy it is at my house or my last vacation or whatever yeah. find me over on Instagram and like we can connect there and in a way like to loop it back to Google and SEO like that's Google's like, awesome. That's perfect because your readers are getting exactly what they want in each of their interaction. Like no matter how they're yeah. coming to you, they're getting the experience that they want.
0: And they can pick and choose yes. how they do that. Yep. And you don't need to complain about all this stuff that we write. About. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I think the
1: complainers <laughs> also just, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah,
0: they just need something. All right. So that is great stuff. Give us your best recommendations, Emma, for tools that we can utilize to help out with SEO. Sure.
1: So the number one tool that I use is SEMrush or SEMrush. I have never known how they actually pronounce it, but it's a pretty well-known tool. The downside of it, well, the upside, I should say, is that it's super powerful. Like I feel like I'm only using it at about like 15% of its (laughs) capacity to get the information. I use it a lot to look up my own URLs. So I kind of see, like I'll look up my recipe for, um, let's just stick with the Instant Pot theme, like uh, for Instant Pot chicken and rice casserole. look it up and just kind of see where it's ranking. Like sometimes you can see just interesting keywords that you didn't realize this recipe was ranking for. And maybe you want to kind of tweak that recipe to emphasize that keyword a little more to try to get a little more traffic from people searching for that particular thing. So I use it a lot for that. And I also use it for the, what do they call it? Like the magic keyword tool? Yes. yes. Like that is so useful. Yeah. And like just using that to kind of see the top keywords and then the search engine results pages that they provide you, which is kind of a, you know, when you look at the search engine results pages, it's a little bit tailored to your search history, but through SEMrush, you can see it kind of from an objective standpoint, so that's useful. Yeah. So I use SEMrush a lot, but the downside is that it is expensive. And I know a lot of people, Mm. maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, hopefully SEMrush isn't listening, but I know a lot of people share (laughs) logins, and I think that's a great way to go. So SEMrush, super powerful. But on the free side, I use Google Trends all the time. I Mm. use Google Trends a lot for researching titles, like when I want to kind of refine a thing. For instance, I'll never forget one of my first huge revelations was researching a recipe for macaroni and cheese versus mac and cheese and I found that mac
0: and mm. cheese has
1: like a ton more hits than macaroni and cheese so I'm like all right I'm titling mine mac and cheese
0: yeah <laughs> so absolutely that kind of
1: thing and then also using google trends to research seasonality and like say I want to do a recipe for a hot dish okay like should I post that recipe in February or should I post it in August mm. you know or yeah, and I usually look back five years, so you can kind of see how the trends happen over time. So that's super yeah. useful. Answer the public, which is just literally www.answerthepublic.com. It's actually somewhat similar to to the keyword search in Semrush, where you can look up a keyword and it'll give you back a lot of the questions that people search for. So you type in hot dish, and then you can see like a lot of the questions are how do I freeze hot dish how many calories are in hot dish? Where does hot dish come from? And you can kind of get a sense of what questions people might be looking for around the particular topic that you want to write about. And then last but not least, google.com. I mean, just like go in, look at the search results for a recipe that you are hoping to compete for. Look at the top results there. Use the prediction tool. So just like typing in into the search bar, like hot dish, and then seeing what comes up. Like My guess is it's going to be like hot dish chicken or hot dish table. Yeah. And that can help you start to think about like, well, what angle on the hot dish do I want to take? Or like what ingredients maybe do I want to think about using? So those are my four S.E.
0: I like those. And I like your free recommendations to answer. The public is free. Google, obviously free. SEMrush holds tons of power. I agree with you, Emma, that I use like a small percentage of what is actually offered in there because I feel, I almost feel overwhelmed. Like I know there's so much more I could be utilizing, but I'm not. But what I do use is very helpful, but again, very expensive. And then Google Trends, I love that you use that for title research, macaroni and cheese versus mac and cheese. Yeah. Like that's something that you just you would normally just type that into your title and... And not even think about assume, it. Yeah. Not assume that you knew what was best. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's worth just typing that in and seeing. And then also setting it to the five-year mark is really smart too because it's not defaulted to that. I think it's I like... Think it defaults to a it, year or 12 months. Okay. But I like to being able to see like over a span of five years, how trendy is this? And like you said, is it more reasonable to post something in February versus August. That is super valuable to know. So I'm just reiterating some of the stuff you said because I loved it. Great stuff. Google is easy and free. Go there when in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Type in those questions or keywords and you can actually get a lot of information out of that. So let's talk about best practices. What are some things that we should have kind of at the forefront of our minds every day? time we sit down to write a new post or to revise old content
1: Mm -hmm. so at the uber level like i think of it almost like a funnel or a pyramid or kind of however you want to (laughs) structure it in your brain or visualize it in your brain but so use the seo tools whatever seo tools you have available to you the ones we just talked about to first refine your topic and just figure out what the heck you want to write about like okay you want to write about hot dish Go think you're pretty sure you want to write about chicken hot dish, but maybe you want to add mushrooms. Like just go use the SEO tool, see what starts ranking, see where you think you could be competitive. So like if you look at the search engine results pages for chicken hot, Dish, And you see that the first page is filled with some of those juggernaut sites, like all recipes, food network, you know, all those top ones like, okay, you might not like have a lot of luck really ranking for a chicken hot dish. But then if you kind of dial down a little bit or dial into it, and you kind of find maybe something that's a little more niche, like, I don't know, chicken tater tot hot dish with wild rice, or you know, something like that, and Mm -hmm. it still gets good search results. There's still a lot of potential for traffic there. But the space is a little less crowded with those top players. So that kind of is maybe how you want to start honing that in. And then from there, once you've got your basic topic, then do research on, well, what questions are people asking about this and kind of what information do I want to provide in my post in addition to the recipe, which you will no doubt go back to your kitchen and develop until it's perfect and beautiful and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. That's important too, don't don't get me wrong. Take beautiful photos and all of that. So then use the SEO tools to figure out like okay you've got your topic now let's figure out like the depth of the topic and kind of what else you want to cover in your post about this topic and then from there when you actually it kind of are all done and you're ready to go into WordPress or whatever you use for publishing think about formatting your story for the best engagement so think about adding bulleted lists think about images think about how you write engaging content and this is kind of a controversial thing too I, I guess I'm kind of drawn to controversial <laughs> things.
0: You're so controversial <laughs> today, <laughs> <I> Emma.
1: <know. laughs> but personally I avoid too many things that are gonna break up your text. Like I really don't like it when I go onto a website and I see like an image, an ad an H2 header Mm. that says, how do I freeze this one line of text that says, yes, you can freeze that to three months, another big image, another ad. Like I, the text, the actual information that your reader is looking for, I think just gets like squashed and lost Mm. in the middle there. So you want to really like, we're all kind of told I think that images are super engaging and people love looking at images, but just think judiciously and like think about a reader coming to your site and like, yeah, the images are important, but they also want that information. And how do you make sure that the information is popping out at them? Like, remember, they're just scrolling quickly down the page. They're not reading it from top to bottom. Generally, they're kind of scrolling through. They're scrolling through to find the recipe. They're scrolling through to find the answer to the question they're looking for. And you just want to make sure that they can find it and that it's engaging. I think that's another aspect of that, how you build trust on your website. Like, can I find what I'm looking for? And then the other thing is, and this is also kind of at the uber level, but think about creating ecosystems of content. So, and this goes back to how you build expertise and authority if you don't have it yet. One way to kind of do that a little more quickly is to deep dive into one topic or just a handful of topics and don't spread yourself too thin in terms of like, oh, today I'm going to write about hot dish and tomorrow I'm going to write about Instant Pot and then I'm going to write about a super weird niche recipe for something I ate on vacation. Like that's fun. And if that's what you want to do, then that's totally fine. No judgment, no, like no anything. But if you really want to start ranking in Google, Google will see that like, okay, she wrote 10 recipes about the instant pot last month. And then now she's writing 10 recipes about the slow cooker. And now she's writing 10 recipes about hot dish or, you know, something like that doesn't have to be 10 recipes. That's a lot of recipes
0: to develop. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Or think about like, Okay, you want to develop a recipe for chicken hot dish. So develop it for a casserole dish and then develop another recipe for the instant pot and then develop it for the slow cooker. And like that starts to create these little ecosystems that are related to each other. And you can link in between all of these recipes so that you kind of create a bit of a virtual web and and Google sees this and they're kind of like, oh, she's paying attention to hot dish right now. So, okay, next time somebody searches for a hot dish, I'm going to give her a chance and like boost this one up to the top and see what people think about it. I think that's a smart way to go about it. And even me, like I run this pretty big website with a lot of recipes. We've got a lot of archives. As I think about how I'm planning new content that I want to bring to the site and updating our older content, I think in terms of that ecosystem. I think in terms of like, oh, wow, we have, we've got a bunch of chicken wing recipes. I'm going to make sure that ecosystem is really strong. I'm going to update all those posts. I'm going to get a couple new recipes on the site. I'm going to do a roundup post that rounds up all of our chicken wing recipes, that kind of stuff
0: and different components of recipes too so maybe something that's not necessarily a recipe but can support you know totally like certain how ecosystems
1: chicken wings or how to break down yes exactly or you could do a standalone post that's how to freeze chicken wings i'm really obsessed yeah. with the freezer <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so you can create i love your phrase ecosystems of content that's Amazing. I love it, the visual of that. But yeah, like creating things kind of in groups, batching things together so that Google starts recognizing you as that expert Mm -hmm. and authority figure on certain different food topics. Mm -hmm. So that is a great way of thinking of it. And then I thought too, as you were talking, this is one of the benefits of really niching down when it comes to food blogging, is that you can really talk about like very specific topics and very specific recipes. Whereas if you're like really general and you're all over the place, one week posting a salad and meatball, you know, like Mm. if you're doing just everything all at once, then you maybe aren't being as specific as you should be. And Google may not see that you are authority on a certain topic so yeah exactly
1: and again go back to what your readers want and what they're interested in like if your top recipe is an instant pot chicken recipe your readers like that and google likes that and so develop some more instant pot chicken recipes and like see how they do oh they did great awesome now develop some more just basic instant pot recipes like that's how you can kind of start to think about it or even just Ask your readers like we put up like free SurveyMonkey surveys all the time. Mm, on our site, yeah, that's great. Asking them everything from like, do you like this feature to what do you want to hear about that, like engaging with them in the comments, doing like on Instagram, asking them what they want, just like talk to them and they will tell you yeah. <laughs> what they want to hear. Yes,
0: yes, they will for sure. OK, so we've kind of established what Google wants from us for now, but how do we know that they aren't going to do a 180 tomorrow and ask us for something completely different? Is this where we have that trust that the user design experience is the most important factor and that hopefully this will remain constant throughout (laughs) throughout time? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Man, as somebody who has been through a lot of Google ups and downs, this is... It's tough, man. And I, <laughs> I really have to believe at the end of the day that yes, if you are creating a good user experience on your website, if you're creating good content that you know your readers are interested in, like you just have to stick with that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you try to change your whole strategy every single time Google does an update and you see your traffic go up or down, then, then you're always playing catch up. Whereas I think if you Find a strategy that you are happy with and that you can sustain for the long term. Just like stick with it. Like make little adjustments here or there. It's kind of like leading a boat. You know, you you aim toward the coast or what, whatever. I'm not a yeah. Why I'm using this analogy because I don't. I'm not a boater person. <laughs> You're not. I'm not a captain. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know the right words. Anyways, you aim your boat towards something. And then you make little adjustments to the course as you go, as opposed to, like, first you aim for Greece, and then you aim for Antarctica, and then you aim for over here, and then you end up Mm -hmm. just, like, running in circles. Yeah. Not only do I actually believe, but I also feel like I have to believe, or else I will go insane, (laughs) that that strategy is going to play out over time. And Google, like, you're going to experience ups and downs. Google is, it's so big and so smart at what it does, but it does make mistakes. Like, it not like I think even last year the core update that they did kind of it penalized websites like ours that have really good evergreen content and we suffered that on Simply Recipes it was a huge bummer but then when they did the core update in March they corrected for that and then we got a boost and so like yeah you just kind of stay the course and I think when you should start worrying and actually think about changing direction is I think if something takes longer than 6 months to recover Yeah, it's a long, slow game. And so Mm. take deep breaths and (laughs) have a bottle of emergency (laughs) wine on hand (laughs) (laughs) because it's going to happen, but also try not to panic too much. It's tough, especially those of us who rely on the indirect traffic revenue coming in for our ads. It's tough when your traffic goes that it starts to affect your bottom dollar, but try to play the long game and weather through it.
0: I like to honestly like keep my eyes off of analytics during times when like I got hit really hard in March mm-hmm. after that algorithm change and it was so depressing that I I just couldn't look anymore because <laughs> I've been doing this for so long and I just feel like oh my gosh I have poured my heart every ounce of my love for food into this blog and it, it just like literally tanked so during that time i didn't look at all. And that helped me because I kept my focus on what I was doing, the content that I was creating, and also my user and keeping all of that in mind and not focusing on like panicking, yes. like you said, don't panic. And I, it's hard not to panic when that happens. It is. And it's hard to get you get sucked yeah.
1: into the kind of microcosm of the day to day and you lose track of like the big picture. For instance, I know a lot of people that did get hit by the March update. But their traffic was still up year over year. So in a way it's like, hey, pull out a little Mm -hmm. bit and realize that you're still doing great. Like you doubled your traffic since last year. And okay, maybe you didn't maintain this like uber high level (laughs) of the traffic that you were like enjoying. But you know, you're still doing really good. And if you're able Mm -hmm. to kind of pull out and look at that big picture, I think that helps too.
0: I love that, Emma. Pull out and realize that you're still doing really great. Unless you've been doing...
1: Because, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no. Go for it. The whole oh. joke is, unless you pull out and you've been not doing great for a long time, which is honestly what was happening sure. to us for a while, and that was just super depressing. <laughs>
0: so. It can be. It can be a really hard game, especially since we all pour so much yes. Heart and work into this when we we get hit hard, it's just like, oh my gosh, like you feel like someone just punched you in the stomach. Yeah, it
1: feels really personal. Yeah And it's hard to remember that Google's just an algorithm and they're just trying to connect readers with your content and it's not personal, but yeah.
0: Yeah your human
1: reaction is very different.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. The human reaction, I like that. So let me get, I have just a few other questions for you before we say goodbye, but what are your thoughts on video as that relates to SEO? Do you think that producing those either hands-only videos or the now it's more trending to do like the face Mm -hmm. videos where you're actually talking through your recipe, either way, one or the other, do you think that those benefit SEO?
1: I mean, yes and no. I feel like The thing with SEO is that there are about like five and a half bajillion factors that influence your SEO (laughs) and some of them influence it more than others, but kind of as long as you're on the target, you're probably doing okay. So what we have found is that if we have a post that's kind of hovering maybe on like the top of page two or the top of page three of Google, if we produce a video and put a video out and then republish that post and spiff up the post also like every post can always use a spiff up. You look at it a year later and you're like, Oh my God, how did we write that? Um, (laughs) So spiff it up, put a new video in it, republish it to the homepage. And that's often enough to give it a little bit of a boost, you know, onto the first page or onto the second page, wherever we want it to be. Simply recipes, we are not right now producing regular video content for our new content. So a lot of bloggers out there, I know, produce a video with every single new recipe they put out. And um, it like, more power to you guys. That's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, that is, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to make a it's video. Ambitious. It's super ambitious, especially if, if you're, you know, churning out recipes with any kind of regularity. For sure. Um, and I would say that probably is good. Like, I, I don't think you have to do video with every single new recipe, but it probably does help. But,
0: but it's not a deal breaker. No, it's not a deal breaker. I mean,
1: and I think you can absolutely go back and like what we like to do because we have to be a little bit choosy about. We have a budget and we can't just like throw money, unfortunately, at every single piece of content we produce. So yeah. for us, it's helpful to kind of put a new recipe out into the world and see how it does in like six months to a year. And then if there's a post, like I said, that's hovering on the second page of Google, or we just like think it should be doing better than it is, then that's when we are like, OK, let's, let's put a little more money behind this and, and make a video for it or, you know, do a social push or, you know, anything we want to do for it take some new photos. Sometimes that helps too, like, especially if it's an older recipe that doesn't have great photos. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of how we've been playing it.
0: Yeah. And also if someone is trying to increase their maybe Facebook following, I think video might be more important there as well. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, I kind of agree with you that creating video and putting it on your blog is not a deal breaker. It does add value, but if you're like holding back because of video, just do the photos. Yeah, just or create if you're a great making recipe. yourself
1: crazy. Like if you are burning yeah. out because you're making a video with every single th- recipe, or your budget is just like scraped every month. Yeah, then don't do it. Like don't like pick a couple v- recipes to make videos for, or or go on IG live and make the recipe on IG live, and then post that to IGTV. Yes. You know, like there are a lot of yes. ways that you can get in on it. I don't necessarily think that like super beautiful, high-quality produced videos are absolutely essential. I also think you can go back and forth with the hands and pans videos versus the in-person videos. I don't know if that's necessarily an SEO thing, but I think it is. I think that I kind of feel like readers are getting a little tired of the hands and pans video. They're not as entertaining as I feel like they once were, and I do think that bringing your personality to these things. And letting people see your face, I think that's a part of building your authority and the trust and like all those, the eat signals we talked about. That's not for everybody. Not everyone loves being in front of the video or in front yeah. of the camera, but maybe you can figure out something new. I mean, figure, figure out the new hands and hands video. <laughs> right, right. Just try stuff. And I think we all think like, oh my God, we, we can only do these things in these certain parameters because that's what successful people do. But you know, it's not necessarily true. And I think there's a lot of room.
0: Yeah. Thinking outside the box a little bit and just doing something a little bit different, maybe that's not on anyone's radar. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. If you know what that is, let me know. <laughs> yeah, Because I, <think, laughs> I feel like it's one or the other exactly. right now. That's where I spend yeah. a lot
1: of like my evenings, I, you know, I sit and watch my stories, watch my shows. Yes. <laughs> and then I just like, go on Instagram and I kind of see what people are doing on stories and I see what kind of things people are posting. And sometimes that yeah. can take you down a rabbit hole and I get really depressed because I'm like, oh my God, that's so good. I'm not oh, doing I that know. thing. But, I know. And that's when I'm like, okay, turn it off. <laughs> but as long as it still yes. feels like exciting and I Inspiration. inspirational, yes, then then I stay with it.
0: Yeah. And you can grab little bits and pieces from each story and profile that you look at and kind of mm-hmm. compile your own creative spin, which is what I love about Instagram in particular. So that is one benefit of Instagram. But yeah, you're right. If you do it too much, you can be like, oh, I'm not good enough. I suck. Yes. So you have to be careful. Yes. <laughs> well, Emma, I know you have to run. So I just want to check with you. Is there anything we've missed that you absolutely wanted to discuss today on the topic of SEO?
1: I don't think so. I, I think mostly don't be scared. Like we talked about at the top of the show, like it can get so overwhelming and so intimidating and so scary. And it feels like so much is at stake and you have to do every single thing perfectly, exactly right. And you really don't. It's really, like I said, it's about hitting the target, not the bullseye a lot of the time. And you need to Be a human being and connect with your readers and do what feels right to you, do what feels right for your users. And, you know, like if you're writing a blog where you're talking about your family vacation and then sharing a recipe for what you ate on that vacation or whatever, like if that's working for you and you get good feedback from your readers, then by all means keep doing that. Like there's no reason that you have to necessarily switch over and start having bulleted lists about how to freeze things, you know? Or try it, like try some posts where you are doing a longer story and then other posts where it's a little more SEO focused and see which ones seem to get more traffic or generate more engagement with your readers. Just don't get stuck in a rut. Don't get stuck feeling like there's only one way to do it. Mm. Just do your thing. Do your own thing. Yes, I love it.
0: Well, Emma, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on SEO with us today. I really appreciate it. And I know that other food bloggers will as well. So thanks for taking the time out of your day to be here. You
1: are very welcome. Happy to, like I said, I'm a nerd, so I'm happy to talk about (laughs) it anytime.
0: (laughs) Well, me too. I love talking with other nerds. So before you go, I know you already shared like tons of wisdom, but do you have any additional favorite quotes or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers?
1: (laughs) I do have a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that I put up on my computer. It's just on a post-it note and I stuck it to the side of my computer. And the first line is really what I focus on. And it's just finish each day and be done with it. Like basically do your Mm, best, do what you can. You probably did not get to the bottom of your to-do list, but just finish your day. Shut off the computer and then be done with it. And,
0: and start again tomorrow. Start again
1: tomorrow. Yep. So go look up the whole poem because the whole poem is oh. quite nice. Or I can email it to you and you can share it on your website oh, if you want. That would be amazing. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah. Which
0: leads me into your resources. So Emma will have a list of favorite resources relating to SEO and everything she's talked about today. And these can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Emma Simply Recipes. Emma, tell my listeners the best place to find you
1: online. At simplyrecipes.com.
0: Perfect. Thanks again for being here, Emma. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time.